Hello and welcome to your Actives AgriFood podcast. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Paula Andres. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from your Actives AgriFood team. This week, a nature restoration special episode. Very special episode indeed. We're going to have uh, tons of guests today. <gasps> Exciting. Super special. It's not going to be only you and I and no. <laughs> speaking. <laughs> A lot of listeners are saying, oh, Mainly thanks you. good. <laughs> no, um, yeah, indeed. It was a um, quite hectic week last week mm-hmm. uh, because in Strasbourg, uh, actually it was kind of covered by mainstream media as well. There was this important vote on nature restoration law. We're going to jump on this um, extensively uh, mm-hmm. during this episode. But first, we start chronologically, because there was mm-hmm. also another very important vote in the European Parliament uh, in Strasbourg last week. On uh, uh, The file is not really agri-related, but there's a part that it's uh, uh, quite important when it comes to agriculture. And Paola know better than me. Because she, actually, she was actually covering it. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so we said that it, this was going to be about nature restoration, but indeed, uh, it was a lie. Because there it was is a lie. <laughs> a lie. <laughs> now we start with the, something else. The worst thing you can say to journalists. No, <laughs> right, no. We are journalists, we say lies. Mm, updated reality. So, um, last week, before the contentious vote on the nature restoration law that we will talk about later, um, there was also another key piece of legislation that had to do with the EU's um, green tan- transition, and that was the Industrial Emissions Directive vote. Uh, so these are uh, new rules uh, proposed by the Commission in April 2022 that aim to curb pollution in, indus- in the industrial sector, and this includes uh, large-scale uh, large farming. Um, so MEPs voted actually to water down uh, the Commission's proposal. Um, one of the one of the ways that they did that is by uh, keeping the same rules as they are already in the legislation that define what industrial farm is. So the Commission proposed a thre- threshold of 150 livestock units. Uh, so everything above that would be considered industrial and therefore would be penalized under the directive. Um, But MEPs voted to keep the same. So um, it would still be a farm um, with 40,000 poultry, 2,000 pigs and 750 sows. But? But there is one more thing. Yeah, poultry, pigs, sows and? And? What about cattle? Ah, well, I was getting yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, okay. But that means I'm taking too long. <laughs> to yeah, yeah, no, I mean, three minutes just to say, okay, they kept the, they, they kept the status quo. They kept the status quo, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, so the commission also proposed to extend to cattle farming. Uh, MEPs d- decided to, were well, voted to not to not include them. Um, this this diverges a bit of the, of the agreement that the council uh, reached, actually. Yes, so the EU Council position actually um, intended to increase this uh, the, the the threshold for industrial livestock farming, uh, but not as much as the current status quo. So it was like an in between between the Commission's proposal and what and and what the law uh, the directive looks like right now, um, and they but they also agreed on including some provisions for for exemptions. Uh, in this case, um, and to include cattle, actually, ministers the were ministers, yeah. in favor of including cattle. So basically, they, they were back 
attacking the position of the commission. But also kind of watering it down, but less. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember when, when the council uh, approved it, I was in the press conference with uh, Sinkevichus, and Sinkevichus was basically saying that uh, yeah. the council uh, is basically watering down the proposal, yeah. and he didn't even know what uh, the parliament could have uh, done. But anyway, um, uh, it's, it's very interesting, uh, also because when I started covering... Uh, uh, your stuff has actually uh, it's been a while but um, the general idea is that when it comes to the interinstitutional negotiations or trilogue uh, as uh, we say in the EU jargon the most ambitious position is usually the, the one from the parliament yeah but uh, for instance in this case uh, because I mean technically most of the time I'd say that the parliament position is even more ambitious that mm-hmm, more ambitious mm-hmm. than the commission's one uh, because uh, the commission also makes some kind of, uh, you know, a balancing uh, exercise yeah. even before publishing the proposal. Uh, and now, particularly when it comes to agriculture, because also of the influence of the, um, let's say, MEPs that are keen to agricultural topics, uh, um, we, we, we are experiencing positions uh there are let's say not not as ambitious as the one yeah. from the commission yeah. and uh yeah yeah the council is actually and this vote ahead of the nature restoration let's say was not a good sign uh well, it's, uh, it's true that uh well, it wasn't a good sign but in the end uh it actually worked the nature restoration. So yeah but uh, some people did not want to comment on this vote uh, ah yeah yeah ahead because, of the nature restoration yeah yeah but the nature restoration the nature restoration vote uh, basically stole the show yeah. uh which is actually offered as a good segue yes yeah. let's go for it who who yeah. is here with us we have a, a very special guest um uh, like i mean it's a it's a honor to have uh, your act is on um uh, energy and environment reporter kira taylor hi kira thanks for having me i'm not sure Fa- it's a Fala. huge honor but I'm it's great fan. to be here Fala is a fan uh we are all fan of kira to be fair and uh it's it's actually a pleasure because uh kira spent the past months in covering uh, nature restoration law so actually the first question and and She's going to help us getting a better grasp of uh, particularly the political clashes because it's the one that we are interested in I mean, the most, you know? I mean, we, we like, like drama. drama. See, 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 <laughs> so, much drama. <laughs> yeah, so much drama. So, yeah, the first question is actually, do you feel naturally restored after the, this vote? No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, did, it, take, it took up about a month of my life. You have this, you have these flashpoints. I remember it when I was covering the gas price cap and again, again now with the nature restoration law. It sort of becomes your life and it gets voted and then it's happened and you're like, oh, what do I do now? Indeed. And then it's going to trilogue on this Wednesday. So it's like my life has just been, I thought, oh, it's okay, it's over, we're done, and then literally trilogue. They didn't give you a break? No, they gave a week. I mean, I feel so sorry for the poor people who were negotiating this because they were pushing and pushing and pushing up to the final vote. We were seeing MEPs switching sides, particularly from the EPP who were against the law to not necessarily support it, but to actively not uh, reject it. and, you know, these negotiators were working up to the last minute to get this through. And then a week later, into the council, and you have this trilogue uh, negotiation. 
And what? Uh, so let's coming back to the the last week and the atmosphere around the vote. So uh, what's your take in, take in terms of uh, uh, the political way? Like, I mean, who's the winner of this? Uh, uh, who's the winner and who lost this vote, according to you? I think it depends how you look at it. Mm-hmm. And I think both sides would probably say that they got something out of mm-hmm. this. So, I mean, the fact that it passed is a huge win for the people who were supporting it. I think up until the last moment, None of us really knew which way it would go. I literally had two stories written on my laptop, one in case it was rejected, one in case it went through. So for the people who have been pushing for this to actually pass, I think it's a huge win. But it's undeniable that the text is extremely weak. And like you were saying earlier, we often see the European Parliament come into these trilogues with a much more ambitious position than sometimes the Commission, certainly normally than the Council. And this time, I mean, it's a very weird thing. They basically have the council text and they watered down the council text. So the council watered down the commission's uh, proposal and then the parliament watered down that. And it's putting them in an odd position for the trilogues. And I think those who were pushing to reject the law still won in terms of how watered down this Mm -hmm. is. Yeah, also because... um the most interesting thing thing for me is how the rapporteur could actually approach this mandate because uh, i read some comments after the the votes and it was almost an appeal to sinkevichus and to the spanish presidency uh to basically keep the ambition high even coming from the party, even coming from the people who were back, backing but in the end it's also true that the council on the other side I mean, the, the, the Spanish presidency, they uh, they have uh, a mandate as well. And uh, the commission's influence on the process, okay, um, they're supposed to be the honest broker, but at the same time, uh, they're actually quite influent on the on the trial process. But it's also limited, no? So what's your uh, expectation ahead of the trial? I think it's going to be complicated because... The Parliament have deleted entire articles of the council approach. So where's the landing ground in that where someone comes, we want this, and the other person says, we don't want any of that. How legally sound that is, is still up for debate. I think you will have the people who are mostly pro the law going into the trilogue. So at least the atmosphere will probably be, we want to get something. But I think in the back of everyone's mind is that this is going to have to be voted again in the European Parliament before it can become an actual law. Mm. And it was tight. It was extremely tight. I mean, partly you had some people from the EPP who, you know, um, didn't vote in line with their group. You also had some people from Renew Europe who were able to vote for it because of specific things. Mm -hmm. And if those are taken out in the trilogues, you're going to have even more issues and you risk the parliament uh, blocking it when it is post-trilogue. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you mentioned there were a lot of last-minute changes, no? And that was a bit uh, exciting. So how did you follow that as well? I think it was really interesting to see all of these people coming out literally the evening or like the mm. day before, or literally the morning that it happened. I, I think... For them, they didn't want to influence the process. But I mean, it's also kind of switching kind of at the last moment. 
a lot of these people we knew existed. We just didn't know their names and sometimes didn't know their nationalities. A lot of Irish EPP yeah. MEPs switched, which we had our eye on them because the uh, Irish government is a coalition, which includes an EPP affiliated group, Efinagel, and they had voted in support of it. So we were already kind of keeping an eye on it because there was support back home in Ireland. And I mean, this whole law has been affected by the European elections next year. And so I think for those MEPs to have the reassurance that there was support back home in Ireland just gave them that bit more strength going into the vote. Mm -hmm. And um, there's also, of course, the the political aspect that you were uh, explaining, but there's also some kind of uh, policy aspect because it it was uh, it wasn't really a first, but I could say that from my experience, I rarely remember a Frankenstein uh, final uh, mandate. Uh, as uh, as uh, this one that was uh, approved. So uh, how do you think it's like, I mean, it could actually be uh, good for the parliament to work on a text like this uh, or uh, it's they are, I mean, from what you got, you think that the MEPs, they are already thinking that there's going to be something different from what they approved? I think it's going to be fairly similar just because the mm. council approach is in both agreements so it's both yeah, from we, the council and from the parliament we were jogging it's going to be the the quickest trial of ever yeah i mean <laughs> it, it could well be i mean especially given it's been a week and there's kind of the suspicion in the back of my head that the spanish government are trying to kind of get this through before the before spanish elections because it will make it kind of easier to see right this is what we're going to do so yeah i think it, it's a question as well like this obviously the whole debate about this made this law just so much more visible that mm. like, i think you wouldn't get the mainstream media coverage of this type of thing if not like people like trees they like bees and everything but you don't have that much coverage of these types of things so, so it, to have all of these protests and everything it was a huge thing to show people that this is uh, good I don't think the conversation was in a very good place mm -hmm. by the end. It was very confusing, even for people like me who'd been following it for a long time. It was quite bitter as well. Um, so no, it was an interesting take. I wouldn't say I want all parliament votes to mm -hmm. go like that. I love the drama, but it was it was difficult. Yeah. And a very last question on, um, um, because you're also following other environmental file, energy file, we also following agriculture files. Um, but this debate, this very polarized debate, was uh, wasn't really a first, but again, was something different compared to what we've seen uh, over the past few months. Uh, do you think that this could become a trend uh, before the end of the mandate with the remaining files, with this highly uh, polarized exchange of views? Uh, uh, because, I mean, there are still uh, some important uh, files on the table. Uh, for instance, the pesticide uh, mm -hmm, cuts, mm -hmm. just for make an example uh, that our listener will <laughs> probably remember. So uh, what's your take on seeing this vote as a trend of uh, polarised uh, debate ahead of the elections, of course, because we don't know the composition of the parliament after 2024? I think it's going to be difficult for the EPP to come back like this never happened because there was a big campaign. And I think in terms of the way they 
acted on Twitter, there was a point where everyone was kind of questioning what they were doing. I mean, saying that the law was going to evict Santa. It just yeah. got to a point where it was very overblown. And I think that is going to be in people's memory. I think there is also a move to actually get stuff through. Mm-hmm. The um, For me, a lot of the stuff I'm now following, I mean, there's a couple more environment files. You guys know the agri files a bit more. There's some energy stuff and the EPP is still kind of negotiating around that. So I think they see the value of being in the room. My, If you kind of zoom out, my take on it is a bit more pessimistic because we are seeing this trend of people saying, okay, enough with the green laws. We don't need any more. Let's just put the brake on it and do what we have to do to implement it, which is true. We have a whole load of stuff that needs implementation, but you're still seeing the EU falling short of actually meeting the Paris Agreement and meeting all of its international pledges. So I think my real concern here is that everyone's going to start turning away from this stuff and it's not going to be implemented well enough and it's not going to be there's not going to be any more. Yeah, it, it, what you say it's super interesting because uh, it's actually, I mean, the EPP kind of mm, break this uh, this uh, general agreement between uh, you know the three biggest group in uh, because my take and listener of this podcast know this already is that actually the real clash so far has always been institutional rather political because uh, the important thing for the parliament is to um, prove that they can do the lawmaker i mean it's it's it, it's still not that we're still not that far from the moment from the times in which uh, was just the council there wasn't co-decision and so on so uh, it always been a race between the parliament and the council rather than the group political groups inside the european parliament and for this reason, uh, there was a lot of collaboration, a lot of cooperation between uh, uh, Christian Democrats, Socialist Greens and Liberals uh, to get things through, as, as you said, exactly. So mm-hmm. be quick, because the parliament as an institution has to show that uh, they can be influential on yeah. the lawmaking process. It's not just the commission, it's just, just, you know, just the ministers. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the EPP kind of broke this pact, yeah. uh, which is very <laughs> dangerous, particularly with this composition. We don't know the composition of the next parliament, of course. And uh, I actually agree with you because uh, in terms of uh, how getting things through, um, it's probably not the time for being so political, but it's true that, uh, as you were saying before, um, it, it was one of the... It was the beginning of the electoral campaign, basically, this vote. So uh, so thanks, Kira, for... Uh, I want to say one last thing on the record. Today is Kira's birthday. Yeah, today, at the time <laughs> of the recording. The time of the recording. <laughs> so we expect for the next week to, you know, you can... I mean, it, it's still valid if they wish you happy birthday for one week. Absolutely, yeah, whenever. So you guys, it's a double honor of being here on my birthday <laughs> Indeed, and being on the a birthday present. It wasn't really a birthday present. We, we wanted there because uh, because of our knowledge. Her but yeah, present to us. Indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> and to get a better grasp of the um, of this natural restoration law vote, uh, particularly touching on the substance 
uh, when it comes to the agricultural um, aspect of this uh, this important piece of legislation. We have with us today uh, Oliver Moore, uh, who's uh, editor-in-chief uh, at uh, Act 2020, which is a, a real goldmine for info on, uh, on agricultural policy and uh, common agricultural policy. Thanks, Oliver, for being with us today. Hi. Thanks for having me. And um, of course, Oliver is also um, a policy analyst, uh, um, particularly on uh, on our beloved and also sometimes not that much beloved common uh, agricultural policy. And uh, he he wrote a very interesting analysis on uh, the outcomes of this uh, parliament mandates uh, on natural restoration law. And uh, let's actually start from the the end of your analysis because you actually think that uh, in the end, um, the fact of having a position is actually a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I suppose what I'm thinking really is that because there's three institutions involved, as there always is, once the parliament has a position, then the parliament's position will be negotiated with the council and something will happen. So it almost, the strength or weakness of the parliament's position is only of so much importance. Um, the fact that there's a parliament position to negotiate with the council position, that's key. I suppose as well, I, was, I would add that traditionally in, in, in these policy, um, so as policy develops, the council would have uh, the upper hand in negotiations over the parliament. That's certainly how it would be in CAP, but this is not a typical file. Mm -hmm, <laughs> it's been very unusual. So like, it's very unusual in itself, even that the parliament has a weaker position than the council to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, if we, we've both looked at CAP for many years and that would not be how CAP would be. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, it's very unusual, but the fact that there is a position um, is key. And I suppose as well, then it's back to the environment, the envy committees, rapporteurs to negotiate with the council. And, you know, that probably also augurs well for environmental ambition, I would say. And what are your main takes uh, uh, about the, let's say, the agriculture part of this, uh, this draft law that is uh, mostly about biodiversity? Yeah, the agricultural elements are really funny because they're almost completely missing now. <laughs> because yeah. our, our Article 9 has been completely removed, which is very unusual in terms of um, even how it's laid out. It goes from Article 8 to Article 10. Yeah. And if you look at recitals, there's still recitals, like Recital 54 refers to all of the stuff that would have been in Article 9. It sounds very like the council position on Article 9. Um, so the document itself is very peculiar now because the recitals, you know, make reference to things that aren't even, don't even exist now as articles. So removing the entire Article 9 um, does make the, the document very funny. Um, the, the Article 9, which was on the um, basically setting some specific restoration targets for, uh, for basically agricultural areas. Yeah, yeah, it's the core one on agriculture. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, obviously, Article 8 but pollinators is still there and actually that one's stronger um it seems to be even suggesting that we'll need new schemes and more coordinated monitoring mm. across europe for pollinators but yeah to actually remove the entire article that was so contentious about rewetting in particular um it'll be very interesting to see how that pans out in the negotiations with the council because 
you know, it, it could work out that somewhere, something somewhere between nothing and something is likely. Yeah, yeah, the the, the progressive rewriting uh, of the uh, basically the, the drain peatlands uh, was also an, uh, another interesting feature that uh, was crafted in the end. Uh, they put some kind some progressive targets. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was thirty percent in by twenty thirty, fifty percent by twenty four. So it was actually it was actually an ambitious part of the commission proposals. Um, I also noticed this. Uh, um, this new amendment uh, that was pushed by DPP group, the center right and the and the right, um, which basically asked uh, asked to in order to reach these targets included in the natural restoration law. By the way, even that even those targets have been uh, watered down. Uh, but in yeah. order to reach the, these targets, um, there's some kind of uh, prohibition to use uh, common agricultural policy fund. Which is also quite um, uh, funny, as you said, because uh, one of the main component component of the eco schemes of the current cap, uh, it's basically on uh, on funding uh, farmers for uh, for uh, having non-productive areas. And uh, it, it was, I mean, it was a bit suspicious for me because uh, it's a bit like, uh, you know, you're already kind of uh, shaping the new uh, cap reform uh, and uh, it's not difficult for me to imagine then the, the next cap rapporteur saying ah oh, we wanted to uh, implement again GAIC 9 which is basically on non-productive areas but you know natural restoration law prohibited, prohibited us to do so so are you as suspicious as me on uh, on this point yeah no completely it's very peculiar um legally it'll be very difficult to see how something like that could could work in the end. I mean, I understand farmers' um, concerns about getting cap to do everything, and they're always, you know, concerned about being asked to do more for less. And then at the same time, cap doesn't deliver super well. But when you look at the amount of things in this nature restoration law, so many areas will touch off what's already covered in cap. Um, so how that's going to be funded is interesting for sure, but exactly how it's going to relate to the GAIACs, yeah, the good agricultural um, and environmental condition elements in CAP and in the eco-schemes. Both of those areas is very funny. Like you say, productive areas, um, non-productive areas, sorry. Uh, there's like, there's, it's understandable that they want to make it clear that extra money has to be found. And maybe that's what the actual council and parliament negotiations will hammer out. You know, like the, um, Amendment 11 and Amendment 84. You know, amendment 11 was accepted and 84 was rejected, but they're both the finance amendments. So, you know, it's a funny one because like also as well, like and carbon farming has this issue too. Like it's, well, if we try and just do all the environmental stuff outside of CAP, then do we take all the environmental bits out of CAP? I mean, that doesn't make sense. And also how would that even relate to um, the fact that we're supposed to be providing public goods under World Trade Organization rules. We're not supposed to be just subsidizing farmers for no, you know, societal benefits. So it's very, it's very unusual. I could see how from a pressure perspective it was added, but the negotiating process will have to figure that out. And maybe even this is a place that the commission will have a little bit of a role in actually working out the legals on um, where, you know, what, what counts as double funding or what counts as 
still within cap and okay within cap and we'd find extra money for more ambition i mean it's i just don't think um i don't know how that could stay the way it is but i think that the finance elements are important and maybe the article that wasn't or sorry the amendment that wasn't accepted amendment 84 maybe that's the, that's the kind of thing that might come back because that's more robust than the one that was accepted on on finance mm -hmm. it, it, it's actually it's very interesting what you said because uh um, I, I was like when I was working at the parliament and I, and I could experience some, uh, some trilogues, uh, on the ground. And indeed it's true, you know, the honest broker and, uh, uh the commission role, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, to favor a compromise, but when it comes to legal aspects, like, uh, they can also play the card of the legal service say, okay, guys, we can also agree on this, but in the end, uh, it's not going to work because it clashes with other, uh, with other policy framework or with other laws. So, uh, I agree that the commission still has some kind of, uh, margin of involvement to, to shape further, uh, during the negotiation, uh, this, um, uh, this nature iteration law. Just one last question only. Um, um, you, you also in contact, uh, you have a, a network of farmers uh, in Ireland, but also not only in Ireland. Do you already get some, uh, some uh, comments or feedbacks from farmers when it comes to uh, the results uh, and the outcome of this parliament? Uh, uh, yeah, so... I, I was speaking to farmers um, on a farm radio show this week, and I did talk about the fact that Article 9 was taken out completely, the agricultural article, and that funding articles were, funding um, amendments were being proposed. And, you know, Ireland has rewetting targets anyway in its climate action plan and so on. So just for a moment, they were actually a little bit worried that they were potentially just when the finance comes in, the agriculture bit gets taken out. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a very it's a very funny situation because at first there was like fear. Um, yeah. and then, you know, to some extent there were probably, you know, it was maybe slightly irresponsible the level of fear that was created when, you know, there it was always going to be compromised and flexibilities added. And if you look at even the council position, there's there they've increased the burden sharing outside of agriculture they've lowered the targets um and the compromise now between no article 9 and the council position will be less ambitious anyway um so the potential for irish farmers to complete um to play their, a role in, in rewetting along with state land i mean it, it's probably going to be a lot more doable now between now and 2050 but yeah it's um i i it's it's funny it, it's it's been very it's very heated over here in Ireland, but I think maybe we're coming out of that phase now and farmers will, you know, having had a good input on this, will will end up with something that's that's quite deliverable. Thanks again, uh, Oliver, for having shared uh, uh, your initial views on this very technical uh, piece of legislation, but that generated already a lot, uh, as you were saying, um, uh, Arrakis, let's say, uh, particularly in the farming community. Uh, thanks again, uh, Oliver Moore, Editor-in-Chief of Art2020. That's all from us this week. This week, the podcast is brought to you by your active agri-food team, Gerardo Fortuna and Paolo Andres, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. You can also listen to this podcast on all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Stitcher and Amazon. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. 
I'm Paula Andres. Thanks for listening and see you next week.